Hi, everyone. You're listening to episode number 14 of the Elysium Project podcast titled Analog Sculpting with Dr. David Jubb. I'm your host, Brian Johnson. If you support the Elysium Project vision and enjoy the content we produce, we encourage you to head over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Elysium Project TV, where you can pledge a monthly amount to help keep this show and vision afloat. We have four levels of monthly support to choose from, starting with our bronze tier at only $3 per month, which is less than 10 cents a day. This show does cost money to keep going, so we really do appreciate your support. Once again, that website is Patreon, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Elysium Project TV. Or you can also find that link from our website, www.elysiumproject.tv. Today, I have returning to the show neurophysiologist Dr. David Jubb. I was first introduced to Dr. Jubb many years ago from the research he has done with life food and examining living blood under a dark field microscope. Since then, his work has continued to influence the research which I have done in the field of human potential. In this podcast, I am speaking to Dr. Jubb about the topic of analog sculpting, which is a follow-up to episode 12 of this podcast in which we spoke about whole brain functioning. I know this subject matter can be confusing, but for those willing to listen, I believe there is lots of helpful information found in this discussion. Keep in mind, Dr. Jubb uses quite a bit of unique terminology which most of you might not be familiar with. In simple terms, analog sculpting is essentially sculpting one's body position and the environment around them to access a specific neurology. So without further ado, let's begin this episode's discussion. Dr. David Jubb, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's really great to be with everyone today. Um, and um, topic, of course, is uh, about whole brain functioning and uh, analog sculpting. And well, what is analog sculpting? Um, well, it really is that you've got a digital portion of your brain that's an on-off portion, yes? Mm. And so uh, that's your left hemisphere, and it's a neurology is more on-off in its synaptic uh, connections in itself. And it's a lot more protein, it's very gray. And um, the uh, right hemisphere is really white and has a lot of uh, fat. And uh, it uh, connects you more to the gestalt. And so for instance, if you were going to a supermarket, you could overall scan uh, and with your eyes and see where something needed to go somewhere. Or you could have, read signs and things which could take a bit longer maybe um and so you know how you and i we use our senses um we can use them in a unique way and uh as you have got more whole brain functioning you've you've got access to you the septal region of your brain which is an area of your brain which connects the medial which which connects the middle part of your brain which is involved in emotion to your frontal cortex it's called the septal region of your brain and um, as you have interest and pleasure the septal region of your brain is firing an acetylcholine as a neurotransmitter which is released and uh, the amygdala and tegmentum which is about aversion and that's about don't want can't should must try but only and words such like that but we can talk a bit about this but what we're talking about now is the analog 
Mm-hmm. You, you and I, we're starting to talk about the analog. I'm talking, we're talking about the, the syntax, the structure of how your, you and I or anyone is engaging their sensory motor complex. And to keep it simple, um, all we've said so far is that as you feel interest and pleasure inside yourself, you have access to your frontal cortex. Mm-hmm. If you have interest and pleasure, you're not able to be in the frontal cortex. That's what my research shows. And of course, a review of the literature and uh, common sense could make this uh, understandable to you, of course. So, you know, in our evolution, we've got um, very Teflon condition, meaning slip. Um, and slip is for things which are good experiences, yes? Yeah. So, and um, so a good experience is plus one in a bank. And um, aversion, we have a lot of Velcro for, the brain does, yes, mm. in, its, in its hardwiredness. And so it Velcros to what's negative. And so negative is a minus five in a bank of energy. That's very interesting because I I think we can all relate to having being stuck or fixated on a negative thought yet so often when we get a positive compliment versus a negative uh, remark, we're so often fixated on that negative remark and it's very difficult for many of us to to get over that. Yes, because um, a compliment as it could be, of course, um, could be perceived as a negative remark um, because um, someone could only be uh, 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 treating others as if they were uh, searching for compliment. For instance, if you're going to give someone a compliment, well, why not actually really give something of some worth? For instance, like in this example, like what we've brought up, if you gave someone a compliment and uh, it was, uh, I like your dress, um, it might be very shallow because to him you might have said oh i think you've really done a good job so in the comparativeness of how someone could feel for themselves only you could say that the response that you've got back is really the effect of your communication so it's not what you or i maybe intended but actual effect of what we got back and if you can start to become more aware of analog you can start to be aware of a whole range of things going on far far more than um, you know maybe just the words that's used so it's a choice of words is analogical, um, how they're spoken, the intonation and the pitch and the rhythm and the cadence. Uh, all these are um, conditions really that relate to uh, analogue. Um, and so you've got two systems that we just started to talk about. You've got one system which is um, whole brain pattern and causes more frontal cortex and whole brain patterning, which we're going to talk a little about. Um, and you've got analogue which would engage all more tegmentum and amygdala function, which other than allows the frontal cortex to to be uh, engaged in your processing. So um, the neurology of and and our involuted state of our you know the apparatus and how it works. First, it is that as you're feeling pleasure and interest in yourself, you can't sort of feel sort of um, pain at the same time, you see? Right. So it's possible for someone to be trained and they can start to become more aware of what's going on where someone is in themselves and teach more others' whole brain pattern conditioning in their communion because it's in really um, the culture that you and I have 
where you, where we are in any uh, society or in your family um, really reflects the uh, your intelligence and intelligence really is yours and my capacity to go beyond any prefix that pattern of response to have survived um, and so it would behoove someone, of course, to be understanding what whole brain function is, because whole means psychological and physical. Brain really relates to the things which is evolving your directedness um, and a hardwired directedness of things. Um, and uh, functioning really relates to what's of your sustainableness and what patterns exist, which is more sustainable, or and in this you know, situation, it's more what's social. And so what got me engaged, involved more with this was uh, um, more coming from a view of first sort of having a um, background in a form of mathematics, which <laughs> um, it just I could see that there were a whole range of areas that I could apply this, um, you know, making, making equipment and uh, a lot of things actually at the time. So there was... Uh, uh, a great interest in more forensics in behaviour and things. Right. So um, I started out more in um, forensics as an expert in the court system and things. And I worked with cases, you know, that involved the interior department and uh, um, police force and things and assisting the police force and things and, let's see, people in the police force. And in working with um, um, and other, uh, you know, uh, issues that related to insurance and other things but big cases and things and um over some years it was just for me i could look at a transcript and i could tell you um, a lot of things that was going on um or i could see behavior and i could for f five minutes observation i could write perhaps for a day or two about what i observed in that five minutes yeah scientifically hmm. so you, and and, um, and just to clarify for our listeners here, what we're talking about with analog today is sort of everything that is other than than dialogue, the spoken word. So uh, almost body language and position and so forth. Is that correct? Yes. Well, sort of really more uh, about all the analog, because from this you could perceive many things as acting as a window into the internal matrix of the body. So basically analog sculpting, which is English words we're using to describe what I was taught more um, in the Toltec tradition from Cloud. Um, and this was really their whole teaching. It wasn't really anything else except analog. They were masters at analog. Hmm. And me being a physiologist, I was fascinated to come to be aware that all behavior has a structure and you can put it into units and bits so that you could work with things and build behavior and things such and change behavior and things. And um, so, you know, um, it just behooves you or I to become better at what you do to become more aware of what whole brain functioning is because if you've got verbal and nonverbal patterns that are allowing you and I more to live in the whole of ourselves and analog sculpting is sculpting the body to access state-specific behavior. Mm -hmm. So that's the definition. So analog sculpting is sculpting your body to access state-specific behavior. So as somebody has sort of more an inner smile as they go about things, that's going to affect the things in everything that you do. Um, as someone is more relaxed, you know, in their shoulders and they're more relaxed in their body, um, 
And so your voice, you've got three chambers that's supposed to be active in your voice. You've got more deeper uh, glottal um, and guttural uh, sounds, which is, you know, um, and then you've got uh, sounds which is more um, in the dental uh, and tongue lingual sort of areas of the mouth as a middle chamber. And then you've got an upper chamber, which is more the uh, nasal chamber. And so these are, sound, these are qualities of sound. And so your uh, uh, sound or anyone's, um, you know, if I ask you to go through the scale, I could learn a lot first if you would, uh, what direction you went um, is going to tell me something quite a bit. Um, if naturally you would have um, gone down the scale, it would show that energy generally is coming into you where any stress condition is versus where stress is um, energy can have gone outside um, because you only were taught as a younger one to go up the scale. And so um, it's an interesting thing that just automatically you can have either gone down the scale if you were more um, in a, a, a uncivilized because you just naturally would. And then if you were civilized, you would have started to go up the scale and it's sort of a different um, neurological processing. How you're using direction is the vestibular sense and that's an analogical condition. So, you know, um, words that relate to in, up, down, on, off, forward, back, um, time suspended, these are words which all relate to uh, the vestibular sense. And uh, relate to your whole body movement and how that whole body movement is engaged, involved in your, uh, you know, uh, that's this is analog sculpting we're starting to talk about. Yes. And uh, what is the uh, vestibular sort of system and sense? I know that's a, a whole new topic that we can't really go into today, but just for our listeners. Uh, well, the vestibular sense is, is every single word you use can predicate a sense or not. For instance, I might use, um, uh, as we're talking, um, aud uh, auditory words, which is to listen, or the sound of what might be spoken. These are all um, auditory and engaging more auditory. Uh, if it was just that I just used a word like understanding, well, um, it's slightly, that's kinesthetic, because you're going under, that's mm -hmm. vestibular and kinesthetic. For instance, like, uh, if I just said, are uh, you understanding? Um, I could say, you know, is this clicking? That's auditory. Or I could say, um, uh, can you see the overall picture? Um, so that's visual. Um, but if I just said, well, you're understanding, I could have said if you were more auditory or it would be important that I gauge this, I'd be wanting to engage more temporal areas of your brain by asking or bringing things up which relate more to what's the auditory areas of your brain. Mm -hmm. um, but I could sit and listen and hear what you're doing or anyone else, and I can hear what patterns you've got inside yourself, you see. And there could be four years of learning 10 or 15 things every day solidly to come to this. So someone could become developed, but as you become developed, you know, it's a technique, you're learning techniques. And so, um, eye awareness is you coming to be more in an eye aware state. So on the topic of analog sculpting, what are some of the markers, Dr. Jubb, of someone who's more in a uh, physiology of excellence versus someone who's more in a dissociated state? Because I think one of the key things that 
I've discerned from what I've read in terms of your writings on analog sculpting and reshaping the physiology is that the fastest way to access a new state is not necessarily through sitting down cognitively trying to work through it, but if we change our body and our body position, that it's really the body is the uh, printout of the mind almost. Yes, it is. Well, it acts as an accessing cue. So when you've got, as you're in associated state, you can see that those accessing cues are few, whereas where somebody's more in a dissociated state, you're going to observe someone more uh, looking around uh, and uh, more uh, things going on inside more, you see. So um, where the accessing cues and movements and things, in other words, um, an accessing cue is used where um, some information that's being called for is beyond your present sensory awareness. You'll go through a series of accessing cues to access that information. So if it was ready available, you didn't need to access it, it was there. But if it was like, for instance, we're talking away in English and you, uh, you, you Spanish is a second language for you, um, and then someone asks you a question in Spanish, you're going to go through a series of accessing cues to access uh, a state where you can now respond more in um, you know, um, Spanish and become fluent at flowing between the two. Um, so an accessing cue is a movement generally uh, which triggers a state. And so your the body is the, uh, and the body movement patterns are the broadest way to reprogram the human brain. So for instance, when I would um, uh, just, uh, if you could give it, I could give you an example, um, clear away, uh, autophobia, um, which is fear of height, it would be just that I took the person through in their mind so that they had a new uh, experience, um, movement experience. Hmm. Why that new movement experience in so that then that could be what guided things as somebody would go through that. So you've got a feeling of a sense of uh, whether someone's associated the present um, and um, you can see analogically whether someone is because they're, uh, they're, uh, center of gravity will be within their base of support of being where someone's center of gravity and their locus of control and spatial orientation is more outside themselves that's not going to be so associated because it's not within and toward where you are and going so you're first of all getting an idea just from someone's analog um, how associated someone is in life so many are glazed over or they go to a man cave um, they feel their whole life just um, fitted away with novelty they think of and um, everyone's in the pursuit of a change of joy but she's not going to get there with all that novelty right. up and down stuff this is more like what we're talking about is more a meditative state of being and being able to be more in a meditative state doesn't mean that sometimes you would not be boisterous or quiet. It just is that you're inside as an eyewear state, not the anybody's or your behavior, um, or you're not anyone a thought. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> uh, and then you cannot do the thinking for another, and you only can do things which is <clears throat> beneficial for yourself, which is mutually beneficial, which is truth. That's the definition of truth is which this is, which is mutually beneficial. Mm. So these are all about your analog. 
And it's really one of the more important topics that anybody could ever talk about because it's sort of strategy or strategy to get things done. Mm -hmm. And strategy in life and becoming better with your strategy, being able to develop rapport, having the capacity to be able to pace and lead, um, you're going to be more in a flow and creating more flow around you versus having caused limited mind function. So one of the things which I did, you know, in the university um, some long time ago was um, investigating electroencephalographic conditions of the brain. And, and just the things that was noted back then was that there were two waves that would pass through a brain if something was a mismatch. So whenever there was ever be a mismatch, it always causes a brain wave to pass through that interrupts whatever pattern was there. It's quite uh, like 200 milliseconds. Um, there's the peak of the wave. So it, it takes time for that wave to peak. And when it peaks, it peaks through your skimmer. And so it pops itself up into consciousness from below. And where you were with a set of things, it can cause you not to have capacity to have remained where the flow was in yourself. So, for instance, there were books written like the book uh, um, The Inner Game of Tennis and uh, The Inner Game of Golf. And the, the premise of these works really was a lot more to do with um, you're not being in a thinking state while you're doing something because you can't do two things at once. Right. So <clears throat> birds take off together, mosquitoes take off together, fish you know, swim together and turn together. Um, and you've got all this schooling and swarming behavior and it works just so fine but it's an amazing thing that you and i will people could have uh, been walking on a street and bumped into each other with nobody else there and then we've got a condition you could say that is more where some internal occupiedness could be and so someone no longer is quite present the more internally occupied you are so in a playful state one is not internally occupied certainly not you're more in a playful state, empty in your own self, so that your mind is going to work more uh, just like a pane of glass does and everything can pass straight through it so that you can perceive what's outside. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the mind can't work properly because you've got you know, something on the glass and, you and it's not letting things through. The same with a bridge. The mind is more like a bridge and as the mind is empty, it lets the in through what is on the outside to come through. So yours or my mind, you know, more the empty in a state of emptiness it is, the more you're able to be received and, and log and imprint new information and cause change to occur. And so the Toltecs taught that there was an all or nothing phenomenon and you had to have 78% of the nerve, which is a neurological condition that you have to have and in other words, you've got a, a population of cells that will affect a change or otherwise you don't. You've got neural inhibitory and neural excitory. And it's a general thing that those two things can be <clears throat> not letting you pass on information. So that's called meta responding or just going over information, but not ever exiting from it. Hmm. So that's another type of response. So a congruent response is more where a pacing and leading is going on and you're able to marshal and sequester information and you, it's just like you know someone you know, teaching someone else. It could be steps where someone is um, to understanding something. Yeah. So, so far what we've said, of course, is that everything that which is analogical is really how everything is being done. 
and um, and the more that you're in a whole brain pattern state, the more interest and pleasure is existing. You're building a bank account and you're chaining states together um, of resource to end up with a plus five. Um, so that plus five is sort of really what you could maximally sort of get to a bit. Um, though a negative experience, one or two, each one is worth a negative five. Mm, yeah. so, so you to add experience up to be uh, of a large enough bank account to collapse any stuck state into that yeah and so, dr jubb we have about 10 minutes left here um, i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more on the again the physiology of excellence and what things are our listeners can do to build that that positive state of resourcefulness Okay, so, well, first of all, you're going to be more associated in life. All this dreaminess and not being present for someone means that you're not present for them. And so how are you really serving and how is each one serving each other? You need to be associated more in life versus just running around being dissociated, which is a very deep form of violence. So where somebody's dissociated, that's the biggest violence that they could ever do inside themselves um, because and they'll manage everything that way and it's very, very... Uh, violent because what somebody's doing in themselves is not partnering themselves they're just like got bits and pieces that don't ever end up getting connected together um, and uh, and then there's distractedness rather than paying attention and actually having a focus a lot of distractedness many things come in to be done all sorts of things rather than what should be and procrastinatedness has existed. Um, what we're talking about is what do you do when you are excellent? Well, it's be associated more to the topic. Associate more is your toward and and going toward and using a vestibular direction to move toward things and having things within is a better way to be in your whole self than only ever being focused on what you're moving away from or uh, what you have outside yourself. So away and out are vestibular conditions which are more involving dissociation. So excellence is going to be where you're focused on what is and the word is as a verb. Um, and I is a good one. You know, what I do, uh, what I'm doing, um, what can I do, uh, how can I help? Or it's just better to be able to be intuitive and not have too much of a voice, but you should be doing what you can where you are or anyone getting uh, statements of support from others. Um, and you're using your voice to help to motivate yourself because where someone is a sounding board, these are all analogical sorts of things that you could be doing. You could be using modal operators of possibility um, because you're going to be using whole brain functioning more where you're focused on what you can do, what's possible. Maybe I wonder, it's interesting is ways to put in front of something you say or think. You can learn how to backtrack by being empty, listening to what someone said, and then repeating something back, which is what they said, that's something very important. Um, and you can be more in your integratedness, integrating things. What have you got? What is the resource of what you've got versus what you don't have? Um, what's a problem? So if I was to say, you know, more in excellence that this is something which is of a challenge to me. It really is more something I can overcome versus uh, my having said that's a problem. So only you and I coming back to reframing and putting a frame around things to create some meaningfulness, you know, is what you're doing in life as technique and being and you're 
learning how to use your senses better than what you have. I said that where there was uh, mismatchedness going on, where Dugwa country would must try, but only is only going to get a fight back. And it is a fight. So someone only is ever getting the experience of a fight back all the time because <laughs> rather than actually putting things in terms of, I wonder if it's possible, maybe it's interesting, backtracking, uh, pacing and leading and gaining rapport, someone is thinking that they could just be going anywhere without rapport and you can't. It's impossible. Mm. No, you can't. Um, but a human being, we're more like uh, um, horses, really. Um, and you can't lead a horse to water. The horse has to not care for shasta or he has to care to go to the water. Right. Um, and so this is something that you cannot do for someone else. You can't do the loving for someone else. You can't do the understanding for someone else. These are things which you have to do yourself for yourself. And as you are, then you are loving. It's not like somehow or other you're not loving in yourself, but you're doing the loving for someone else. It's like, oh, my God, this is completely incorrect. <laughs> so you know these are things which you and I wear we could come to be more excellent um, there's no way that you could do the thinking for another so a lot of mind readedness is going on where chatter is could be quietened down because it's nothing purposeful could ever come from that and a lot of the chatter doesn't have any referential index in it um, you know meaning that it's not coming from a center point anywhere and it's coming from some entity-ishness which is a thought within your own self which is just the definition of an entity, you know, it's just a, a mm -hmm. thought in your own self sort of thing, but that's not you, not real. Yeah. So about uh, associatedness, and now we've just finished talking a bit about uh, how congruent, uh, the congruency is really a parallel processing and where you've got a parallel processing toward what it is that you would be cared for versus parallel processing with stuff which is not good. Um, so congruency really is just a parallel processing. Um, and uh, <clears throat> But you, actually you have to have this to be more in a social paradigm. And so then you have to um, uh, really uh, keep your focus on the response that you get and, and, uh, and um, your capacity to be able to keep in a flow where uh, others are able to remain more in their uh, state of being without what's said or done or by you having interrupted always their state of being. Um, so you could say that when you're becoming more aware of your presuppositions um, and your analogue, um, how you say something, like if I've said this and, and it was a bit of a cold day, but I put a warm cup in your hands and I said something to you, um, but if it was a cold cup and I was saying something to you, um, the analogue of that, all would be of some effect in and of itself. So a warm fire is going to cause people to be closer by. A cold isn't going to keep anyone around too much. <laughs> so these are sort of analogical sorts of conditions and things where something is placed, the height of it um, is, is an analogical condition, the colour and um, all the submodalities of the senses, uh, substructures of each sense um, are being applied and all uh, state-specific and have some state, you know. So where there was a mismatchedness going on where someone was and they only allowed mismatchedness to be because they polarised. So they're only sorting for what doesn't fit, what's obscure, um, what's uh, not what was said, but opposite what's said. 
Um, and that's just a response that someone's had automatically where they could really become more automatic with a congruent response. And it's better that you're getting yes from people around you versus no. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so yes is a good one. Um, and um, we're to be empty to hear truly what someone said. So you've got what they said. You've got that. But it should be true also, you and I, we all are aware of the analog. How did you say that? And are you aware you could be saying things in a way with more kid rapport so that you could sell things to people and convince them more versus um, um, having been in a state that was more in judgment or you know um, elicited judgment or caused a conscious objection more to what you did by not having proper behavior in a way that you could. These are things which most everybody could start to become personally developed. One could say most are not personally developed. They haven't had training in this area, but this is the truth of all being I want you to know, and I think it's the bottom line. You should truly know more about analog sculpting, learn about it. There's books about it. There's uh, manuals um, on whole brain functioning which somebody can get hold of and learn more about it. There's things on the internet that's about whole brain functioning. Um, and um, that you're doing a really great job. People come to you, Brian, uh, listening to these shows. I'm really glad for us and really glad for everyone who is getting to, uh, you know, quorum sense with me. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Job. Yes, we were, you were a popular guest last time on our podcast. Our listeners certainly enjoy the content that you're uh, sharing with us. Um, so you mentioned if people do want to learn more about whole brain functioning, analog sculpting, uh, where can they go to find out more about that? Um, well, you can go to the Path of Hollow Bones, which you could download. That's really amazing. You could go to the internet, of course, and um, you can look up a whole brain functioning. And then there's some shows and things that you could learn more about this. I think it's common sense what's being said. So it doesn't require explanation. And that's what common sense is. It sort of really doesn't require explanation. Um, and so... Uh, as somebody is in their pleasantry and interest, you've got whole brain functioning. As somebody would have been in an averse or a lack of interested state, uh, one has not got access to their frontal cortex nor the left hemisphere much. Hmm. So you're in a, um, you only can log new information by being an interest and pleasure, by having your access to your frontal cortex. And then when you rest or sleep, um, you know, things are, are transferred to the postmotor cortex area where your speech and you know, listening right now to me, I'm engaging your uh, tongue uh, and motor movement. The sound is engaging your uh, tongue and motor movement inside your own self, which is language is pattern motor movement. And uh, so you're able to decipher what I'm saying because the pattern motor movements mean something to you and the sounds all are engaging a pattern motor movement. So I hope you've enjoyed the show. It was just the beginning for you to start to learn more about the Toltec tradition um, and that in an amazing wealth of knowledge beyond what's taught in your in a university or in your education system could start to become more available and, and um, you, you could be applying this and absolutely uh, you could be more excellent in what you do. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show today, Dr. Jubb. I'm sure we'll be having some more conversations in the near future. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Love you, mate. And um, we'll catch up. All right. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the show today. If you enjoy our content, please help support us by heading over to www.elysiumproject.tv where you can find our soon-to-come e-store as well as the link to our Patreon subscriber zone.